It is Saturday night. And why are we here discussing the Book of Boba Fett on a Saturday? Well, because tomorrow is Super Bowl Sunday, and we thought that would be crazy talk to record on Super Bowl Sunday. My name is Joshua Gilliland, one of the founding attorneys of the Legal Geeks, and with me to review the final episode of the Book of Boba Fett season one is Thomas Harper and Gabby Martin. How you both doing this evening, Gabby? I'm doing good. I'm glad to be back with the, the OG team from The Mandalorian. Um, and yeah, I got, I got, I didn't watch the season of Book of Boba Fett. I will fully admit that. Uh, but the past few episodes have been excellent. Um, not finale, but it was, it was definitely good. Um, and I, I saw something the other day that said that you know Pedro Pascal this entire franchise on his back um and that he deserves our thoughts and prayers um and i i really think he he is definitely carrying franchise uh yeah uh um, how about you i the, gabby gabby's comment there made me like brought it back just uh like how long it's been since we were first together and and going back to the the days of the the first season of the mandalorian uh that made me feel really old really quick thank you gabby but uh yeah th no i'm good um <laughs> yeah in a lot of ways that's cool that's i what was that uh that would have been like the beginning of the lockdown like start of the pandemic mando was about the only new tv that we were getting so this is a this is an awesome reunion but yeah Good. I'm I'm excited. It was um, I think perhaps a little bit telling uh, how Disney felt about how the the series was being received that they drop news of the official release date of Obi Wan like right in the middle of you know what should be celebration of the the finale. But um, yeah, it, a fun like a really really fun episode if if nothing else. Like we get. A rancor, and anytime you get a rancor, that's cool. I think the investor call had been scheduled before, so this was, mm -hmm. you know, coordinated. Uh, they also take the position we're not going to promote two Star Wars shows at the same time, so yeah. we wait to the end. Which, again, we saw how that worked out for Solo, but with a TV show, it's I think a different creature. Yeah, and for for Kenobi, you know, everyone's happy to see him back because of uh, McGregor. And mm -hmm. it just, so yeah. With that said, Pedro Pascal uh, is doing the Lord's work when you go, so we're not going to see your face. <laughs> You're going to carry this through body language and a puppet. And, and through that, we want you to make the world cry. You want board? So... And, and he's, I love the dude. He's, he, this is phenomenal. So what I, what I love is if, if people haven't seen it yet, definitely go check out some footage from Pedro Pascal recording uh, the voice. Cause obviously he does, he does sometimes in the suit, sometimes it's a stunt double. Um, so, but he does, that's not him actually talking on set. Um, and when he's carrying baby Yoda, he's actually carrying a pillow. Uh, what he's recording and it's the funniest <laughs> thing it's so adorable um and it's it's just classic so definitely check that out the man's a treasure 
So let's the let's best just... space dad. Yeah, yeah, and that's also a refreshing turn that we have good dads, as opposed to the dad this who will cut true. off your <laughs> cut this off your hand true. and lay waste <laughs> to a planet. So good. Uh, it's a low bar, but yeah. progress, progress. <laughs> we are going outward. <laughs> <laughs> from the He's bottom not only there yet still endangering yeah. the child but like <laughs> improvement improvement the, the kid's got body armor now so again he he was concerned but... <laughs> his so... head is still exposed like he needs a helmet <laughs> it's gonna take a lot of beskar i don't yeah, know man, what they're gonna do about fight. the years he's gonna do some more jobs for that one <laughs> agree Agreed, but there's a the other part of this is Boba Fett became a compelling character, and I, I've mentioned this before. You know, if you you know, like ten years ago, it's like hey, he's overrated. You know, like he just looks cool and didn't do anything. This is now he's a dynamic character uh, with depth and emotion, and he's thoughtful. I like all those things and I, I wanted to with the way the series started and then we had the side quest of Mandalorian come in uh yeah that did throw me for a loop uh like that again it kind of changed the tone of the series but I do want more Boba Fett now with him trying to have a functional society because with he's not a crime boss this is more the story about why the rule of law is important to have a functional government so people don't get killed and drug running doesn't destroy an entire you know country so there's there's a lot there of you know it, it's this isn't marijuana this is crack cocaine going through the community and and fighting a cartel that wants to bring it. So I, I appreciated that. But let's get into the legal issues because there are a bunch with this, despite it being all out mob war. And I would say I uh, that with a mob war, it would fall under RICO. There's no way that mob wars in any way justified shape or form. Mobs by definition are engaged in crimes. So it's a Rico type situation with what they're doing. It's racketeering and it's it's Al Capone type stuff, John Gotti. But the the, the weird part of this is Boba Fett is not the traditional mobster. And it's hard to define what it is because it seems to be more, let's have a functional government. Despite the fact there's a, a mayor, I don't know if it's elected or appointed, that's never really discussed, other than that Boba could off the mayor if he so choose or chose to, but it, it's peculiar. And I see this as an analogy for the rule of law. Uh, Gabby, since you haven't pontificated on this before, uh, what's, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, th I think it's, it's really interesting, right? Because he's, he's obviously, um, into the Pike syndicate, which is, you know, classic star Wars kind of monster game. Um, and 
I think, you know, interesting and we've talked about this before with um you know Cobb Vanth and you know the the um sorry the, the, the Marshall and you know different how kind of come into play and you know whether they're elected whether they're appointed and it seems that Boa does have some sort of title again I fully admit that I did not watch the first few episodes of Boba Fett appear to have some type sort of title that he uses in his um in the surrender in the the negotiations right that this is some sort of power position that he has so clearly he's not just kind of like oh i have control of the city like he's like no like as whatever the title is i have kind of this position um you know i'm it does i agree with you Rico, but he's, I think, in a different category because he's trying to set up a government, trying to set up kind of a not necessarily a democracy, but you know, a, a kind of functioning government. Um, so yeah, I, I think he's he's kind of separate and apart, and he's really not attacking the citizens, right? He's not committing violence to commit violence. He's you know trying to kind of run the city and, and kind of save the city. Um, so I think there's, there's kind of a difference there as opposed to the Pike Syndicate definitely, um, is, is not, um, you know, getting goals. Yeah. Yeah. For those that don't know Rico and I will, I will fully confess I'm not a Rico expert and, and don't, don't practice in these types of cases on the criminal or civil side. Um, but you're talking, just shorthand acronym for the the racketeer influenced and corrupt organizations act that's a mouthful uh rico rolls off the tongue much better uh but a very very effective law at uh prosecuting and coming after organized crime uh it's probably the 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 uh single law that's that's made it um really manageable to go after you know mobs mafias uh that sort of thing and uh it's not it's not that old a law. It's, it's not been around for, what is it? 1970. It was introduced like the, the early seventies. I don't know the, 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 the exact date it was enacted, but um, it's, it's a relatively young law in terms of like the, the real world uh, panoply of, of uh, options there for star Wars. For, I think Gabby's exactly right. Both fits in this weird sphere because of what he's doing. I think he, I think he probably because of some of his activities in in how he's getting paid, he's demanding tribute, basically protection money, um, you know, in, in some ways, you know, can you um, can you make a case for like extortion, something like that? Certainly the, the murder of Bib Fortuna, I think, would be um, racketeering activity that, that might fall uh, fall within here. The Pike Syndicate almost certainly. I mean, they've got like almost every every offense uh, that falls under the Rico umbrella checked off with a big red check mark. Um, but Boba Fett's a little bit trickier of a case, and I, you know, I would like to think. And we talk about prosecutorial discretion and that sort of thing. If if we're coming at this from the eyes of maybe a, a new Republic prosecutor. Who's the bigger fish here? Are you going to go after the Pikes who are involved in illicit drug running, acts of terrorism, 
uh, murder, uh, all, all sorts of uh, big name Rico type activities? Or are you going to go after the guy that, that you know, um, took the took the helm in Tatooine and is trying to clean up, although he's still not completely straight? Um, that line about uh, f- from Cad Bane toward the end, like you tried to go straight. I'm like, did he? Like he cleaned up a little bit, but he's uh, just because you don't deal in spice doesn't mean you're not a criminal still. Um, I'd like to think that the Pikes would be the target of uh the the sort of limited judicial resources that the new republic has uh they're going to be as targets they're certainly the the ones that are going to be easier to mount a rico prosecution um you know you've got the predicate offenses there that are i I think met in spades and uh you don't have the same hiccups that you do with uh boba's case yeah it is complicated and weird and different than anything that you've seen in the real world. So having comparisons is not straightforward. Uh, the Pikes are, it's like, it's a drug cartel. Like we can, yeah. it's like, well, easy. Okay. Spice, cocaine. Like we can, we can understand this parallel. Boba's different. And I am not educated enough on what a daimyo was in Japan mm-hmm. to know if that is comparable, uh, but that would be interesting uh, political theory analysis. To that said, we have four, and we have a uh, the un- basically non-aggression treaties with the other families, and they flat out breach the non-aggression treaties because. I'm not sure historically if there's ever been a non-aggression treaty that's worked. Right. It's still, it, it just, you're, you're asking the bully not to beat you up because you're going to, you know, let the bully go beat up others first. And it, it did great for Russia uh, against Germany. So yeah, way to go. Uh, but yeah, they, you just don't see them working out well. Yeah. So there's a breach of those treaties, which are like contracts. What's the remedy? Well, the remedy doesn't really fall under any civil situation because of what's happening. You're effectively in a state of war, which we should save to the end when we talk about what Fennec does. And because uh, again, there's no way that we can make this legal. It's like, okay, we're in rule of the gun territory. Yeah. We have uh, an attempt for a negotiated surrender. And this is after the mayor's, I'm blanking on what the Twi'leks title was, but he takes the position, I'm educated. I can go out here. <laughs> and Boba Fett quickly he went to something. finishing school on Coruscant. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love that reference that was such a you know because that was so common and like you know i've I've talked about this on on other broadcasts like the kind of political training that was available to folks in the star wars universe and especially in the core world you know is really cool like you know we we pick characters like padme like she was really young she had been doing this for a while and you like they trained them so get that kind of like little easter egg um 
in addition to all the kind of prequel stuff we got um, in episode what, six, five, six, um, was just kind of a, a it was just super cool. Highlights the importance of recontract. So he goes out to read <laughs> Boba Fett's supposed to be terms of surrender in front of people with guns who can kill him, and he hasn't looked at the script yet. And I think it's, it's important. <laughs> it's important to to acknowledge that he took the position that I'm educated and you're not. You're just the hired gun who's now in charge. And Boba quickly wrote something that was pretty eloquent, if not poetry. And the span of like 10 seconds with, uh, you know, how, how the desert sands would flow with the arid blood of the pipes. It's like, <laughs> yeah, boy. <laughs> Flowers will bloom again. Yeah. <laughs> he was so eager to, to prove his talents there, to, to flex those diplomatic muscles. Um, yeah, his, uh, his reading comprehension was a little rusty still, though. It raises the issue of, like, did Boba have a duty to him before sending him to harm's way? And no, he could have read that. He could have read that. And he clearly missed the political course where if you're an elected official, you read what somebody has given you <laughs> before you get out there and speak. Yeah. I, as somebody who currently works for an elected official, I will tell you that as good as my writing is, he never goes out there without reading it first. So throw it up on the teleprompter, full trust. <laughs> yeah. It's like uh it's like an anchor man where uh he goes, I'm Ron Burgundy, and he's like, Who typed a question mark? You know he reads whatever is on the teleprompter. <laughs> That was a missed lesson because I you nobody in at least Connecticut state government has that much trust in each other. <laughs> Especially when death is on the line. <laughs> exactly. It's one thing to go out there and mispronounce a name and you know you have spin city kick in. It's another thing to go like I'm going to die if this goes wrong. <laughs> uh, that's it. He's kind of reading it going and he's like he comes out with all this kind of confidence and then he reads it, he's like and his offer is no why don't we discuss what you like, will pay oh shit <laughs> <laughs> oh no oh no oh no this did he, not hands down and i i will confess i don't know that they gave him a character name if they do uh or if they had i don't remember it and i'll i'll uh forfeit my trivia belt i suppose but um <laughs> he was the highlight of this entire series and, and seeing him kind of come to a, a fine point here as sort of the useless vassal trying to be useful. Um, I, I just love where he's, he kind of in makes this promise to Boba Fett, like, look with my training, you can expect to get off world with a little bit of uh, just meaningless genuflecting and groveling uh, you know, it's it's no big deal. You'll you'll have to make a big show of it, but you'll you'll leave with your life. Um, so yeah, that took a fun. It, I, he was one of my favorites in the whole show. Yeah, I also love the the moment that we get later on where um, Amy Sedaris's character actually goes to protect him, 
and it just kind of further emphasizes um, Pelimoto um, how useless he is and how just, you know, he's completely in harm's way and he just yeah. needs, you know, somebody to take care of him. Yeah. I, th there's, there's a highlight in here, sort of a juxtap. We, we talk about, um, you know, relationships contractual or otherwise, and Mando has agreed to help him for free, help, help Boba for free. Uh, presumably as, as a payback for, for the assist that Boba gave uh, in, in finding or in, in helping track down Luke and, and um, you know, that, that sort of critical part of the mission in season two of Mando. And there's this really poignant back and forth that he and Boba have uh, be before the whole shootout begins. And Boba's like, I, I suppose you're going to be leaving then. And it just expecting him to walk out and say, I, you know, I didn't sign up for a battle to the death, basically. And uh, Mando, you know, I don't have the, the, the exact quote, but Mando's basically like, look, I'm in it until the end. And, and it kind of feels out how Boba wants to do it. And he says, okay, we both die for honor then. And, um, you know, it's, it's a, a moment of the Mandalorian going in Din going, above and beyond any sort of contractual duty uh, to him. This sort of uh, highlights Din's uh, value as a, a contracted partner, but just the character in general, somebody that can be relied upon uh, when, when all the chips are down. He's got no duty, no legal duty to stay there. Uh, this, is, this is beyond anything that was foreseen um, at the outset in terms of... Uh, you know, what was, what was predicted to happen. I don't think Din anticipated sort of a, uh, a, a final showdown with the two of them facing down the entire Pike syndicate without backup, but that's the situation they found themselves in. So it was kind of a cool, uh, cool moment like that. So a couple directions with this, the, the mayor's dandy, you know, he's, he has a great scream when the ranker comes in and, and Pelly is flirting with him, you know, saying something like about <laughs> his tail behind me, pretty face. So like all of that is glorious <clears throat> and just pure star Wars fun. The exchange between Mando and Boba Fett is also why people love star Wars. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's the loyalty. It's the, no, I'm not leaving you. Yeah, this is going to suck, but we're going to do it on principle. We also have the, uh, you know, discussion of faith. And it's, you know, in the Mandalorian terms of Boba saying, do you believe in all that Bantha fodder? And Mando says, yes. And, and Boba says, good. I don't know if there's a fiduciary relationship that's created between the two of them, but there's definitely a good fidelity and it, it's, again, it's part of storytelling that people just gravitate towards. It makes people happy to see. Well, it's... Of them flying out in jetpacks to you know, shoot from the air, which again, pure Star Wars joy. It's, you know, the things that we've only seen in the animated series with these, we got to see a little of it and Mandal the Mandalorian episode, The Sin, with uh, with Mandalorians in flight, 
shooting at other bounty hunters, all good stuff. But this was broad daylight, they're in the air. So like, they're not trying to, you know, it's like, we'll make it dark so that way we can go cheap with the special effects. It was broad daylight, bright light, hit it. And that fight is so Western. It's yeah. so war movie. It's for the film students out there to look at this, you know, and try to pinpoint all the inspiration, whether it's Butch Casting and the Sundance Kid, or uh, uh, any samurai movie. There's just a lot there to to enjoy, and I thought that was also one of the highlights. Then with the cavalry coming in, again, pure western absolute western even though i thought there would be more people from freetown and maybe a few tuscan raiders that they would ask to come along but maybe i was hoping too much yeah uh, either of you want to add to that with with the fight nip then yeah the no i i love the fight sequence i to me i mean you get a lot of the kind of larger battles um but like when they do I think Star Wars works best when it's to combat. You know, you have two individuals with their kind of backs against each other, you know, kind of moving against the enemy. And I think it's just, and to see, you know, the pocket and, you know, all of that kind of stuff and the fact, the way they kind of work together. Um, although it seemed like, you know, clearly it was taking a while to, you know, that like one guy. <laughs> um but it was just, it was great to see um you know all the the, the that that kind of type of combat i think is is always the best in star wars as opposed to the kind of generic larger fight sequences yeah i i love the i think gabby spot on i love the prelude to the fight with the the showdown with cad bane and the to, to quote the Twi'lek, the exemplary stratagem displayed by Boba Fett, really by by Fennec. Um, Cad comes out there and is is trying to goad him into to just an easy, what would be an easy showdown for Cad Bane, just shoot him and be done with the job uh, with, with no bigger fight. And Fennec's back there saying, this isn't the time nor the place. Uh, you know, you need to choose where and when we fight and this ain't it and uh and, and you see boba fett sort of um reluctantly back down uh he, he wants very badly to to raise the uh raise the blaster and fight right there um the fight was pure i don't know that we've seen uh much of this kind of open warfare on the streets that's not like first uh, first order versus resistance or empire versus rebel alliance i mean you've got plenty of examples of like actual warfare like that but like you know force on force like gang on gang something like this is sort of unprecedented um and and the mandalorian and and now book of boba fett have sort of brought uh stepped up the the star wars game on that front this was like purely it was like me playing in the sandbox with my stuff like all that was missing was some pew pew pews um and like my my seven-year-old hands like flying around the <laughs> uh boba fett and, and din on their jetpacks uh but i thought it was it was really really great um 
I mean, it was the bulk of the episode. So we, we got exactly what we were hoping for in a way with that. But uh, the, the no check or no holds barred open warfare on the streets was neat to see. Yeah. Not for the, not for the residents, but you know. No, but it did endure them. So there's, there's that, but it's, this is like rogue one level, like yeah. type, type combat, uh, which was the first time that we truly saw this. It's, I mean, the battle of Hoth, I mean, like, yeah, it was on location, but it's beyond like anything. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's kinetic and it shows off all the toys. It's literally Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's knee rockets, wrist rockets, whistling birds, jetpacks. It's guys who grew up playing with their toys. Let's make a TV show doing everything we've ever dreamed of. And you know what? God bless them for, for doing that. <laughs> Which then gets to uh, when they're out of Calvary, we, we get the rancor. And I admit, I thought there was he was going to try to signal other Tuscan tribes because I thought that would that would make sense. And then when we hear the roar, it's like, oh, yeah, Stompy needs to come in and we get to see him ride the rancor. And it's this is a true love letter to uh, King Kong and other kaiju movies. Yeah, the. On Twitter, I put out a poll for what should the ranker's name be, and I used names of famous FX artists. artists. And, and the one in the lead has been Harryhausen. And uh, I was a little hurt that Will O'Brien, for Willis O'Brien, who did King Kong, got zero. So that kind of hurt me. But uh, the uh, it's again, it's like, okay, people respect the classics. Uh, Lucas was up there as well. Uh, as was um, was it Tippett, who was the FX one of the FX model makers, who I thought it should be him, uh, just given his relationship with what he puppeted he the original Rancor, so that would be fitting. Yeah, it's like I would I would name him that. Uh, <laughs> but we now have a, the type of thing we only get to talk about in kaiju movies. We have a giant monster rampaging, and it does raise the question: Who's the real monster? But so the giant creature uh, is used as a weapon. And then after Boba gets thrown, we have the juvenile rancor who's scared. Angry villagers are shooting at him. It's disturbing his sense of Zen. He's out of pikes to snack on. His blood sugar's low. What? What's it's his nap time? <laughs> So we have strict liability issues here uh, when you have a wild animal on the rampage. And Gabby, do you want to, you, you added some notes here. Can you, can you help us understand Boba Fett's potential liability here? Yeah, because clearly he has kind of unnecessarily domesticated the Rancor in any way, but he has control. He, he's, this is not just kind of like a, you know, Kaiju just kind of running loose over the city, right? Like, he brings this rancor into the city, um, writing the rancor uh, into the city. And so when we talk about strict liability and, and liability for any kind of animal attacks, obviously it's whether the, the first question the court looks at is whether the animal 
who owns a wild animal and you know this is like tigers snakes um you know those kind of lions tiger bears oh my um that they're held strictly the courts generally define a wild animal that is by nature wild regardless of Roy, that you know, still a wild or exotic animal. Um, and so, again, courts have considered the snakes, lions, tigers, bears, but I'm sure they would consider Rancor, even though he seems very cuddly and, you know, uh, Kuroko was able to approach him at the very end. He'd still be a wild animal, and so Bobo would be on the hook for bringing him into the city. And for any physical damage he caused, he would be responsible for any, probably all the body count this guy racks up of all the pikes he eats, um, all the uh, citizens uh, that he injures or kills, and also any fear that he puts into people. People can have emotional distress claims against Boba uh, for the rancor that been caused um, the rancor. Yeah, the 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 question that popped into my mind it, it goes back to what is Boba's role? What does a daimyo effectively mean? Right, because Mos Espa has a government; it has a a mayor, uh, elected officials, that sort of thing. They seem to be separate separate and apart from this criminal enterprise. But I did wonder whether you could consider the Rancor, um, you know, an extension of of law enforcement for the city in the absence of any. And, and you know, if you're going to go down that route, is there any sort of immunity? Uh, does Boba get the uh, the sort of cloak of sovereign immunity? Uh, you know, the the, uh, the business where you, you can't sue the government for um, just anything under the sun. Uh, is is this rancor like the equivalent of a you know a police canine unit or a police horse that has happens to stand uh, you know thirty feet tall or something like that? Um, I had some fun playing around with that in my head. I don't know what the answer is because I don't know what the daimyo is. I think it's going to be hard for Fett to make a case that he he should by extension have any sort of grant of immunity even though he's providing um law enforcement services um the issue here is that it's it's almost like the lesser of two evils like he the rancor destroyed a lot it's it's a a destructive scary creature that did a lot but he's facing two two of these scorponek droids that are about to tear up the entire city themselves and are actively doing so. They're just sort of um, not caring what they destroy along the way. And this is really the only tool that Boba has to, to destroy these things. Um, Cause whatever that shielding is that they have on him is like the best in all of star Wars. I don't know where this, that kind of shielding has been like for anything else. It's just like impenetrable to, it reminded me of, destroyer droid shielding like if there's a an episode in the clone wars where they um anakin and ahsoka are like training some some local uh 
militia forces with Saw Guerrera, and they have to like roll these grenades in very slowly uh, to get them through the shield. So anyhow, I, that's like me going down a cannon rabbit hole. But back to the Rancor. I was just curious whether he, if, if either of you had any thoughts, whether there'd be any immunity, what what the deal is uh, with with the purpose, why he's trying to to use this Rancor. So I think there is, and for a couple reasons. He rides in the battle and have a tradition with riding horses and other armies, whether it's elephants, like that, that has happened. He's dismounted in combat and the creature goes uh, away when it, when it gets afraid. We also have uh, precedent for the U.S. government using wild animals uh, in military service. The Marine Mammal Program teaching dolphins to go inspect ships or plant bombs, or there was a wild uh, claim by someone who said, we use dolphins to kill a bunch of North Viet Cong. And it's, yeah, it was like, that, that's in case law with like this guy making wild claims and everyone going like, we think you're crazy. So, but uh, this would be like Battle of Stalingrad and the Russians using bears like to to rip apart yeah. Germans. It would be emotionally satisfying to see. Uh, this definitely was. I think you also get a good necessity defense because if you do say you can sue the sovereign, if he falls into that category, one, he had to do it because their back was against the wall. It was the last ditch effort. He was out of friends. So this was what they needed to do, you know, like using... Uh, you know, the broken arrow fire on, on my position type situation. It was, was what they had to do. After the dismount, though, you know, we see him throw a speeder. You know, he's climbing around. Again, it's, it's the full-on King Kong scene. And it's emotionally rewarding to see the good dad in Star Wars say, stop shooting, you're scaring him. And Mando tried to calm the beast and and get really hurt in the process <laughs> and and then we He's get got his head squished oh god I just <laughs> the number of concussions that man had and uh, <laughs> probably a few broken bones and bruised ribs from getting thrown a couple times that said you know we do get the great scene with Brogu yeah. and and you know the ranker goes to sleep and then they snuggle up and take a nap which is really adorable. <laughs> so uh, they, they know how to make people happy. Uh, but I do think it's a defendable position because it was using a weapon of mass destruction in order because you had to. Uh, you know, there's the Tom Clancy book, uh, Some of All Fears, and which begins with the uh, Six Day War in which the Israelis were uh, going to deploy Operation Joshua which was the use of nuclear weapons. And it's the nuke that gets lost uh, when, they, when the plane gets shot down that is found 30 years later in the, the focus of the book. But it's that type of situation that they felt we have to do this because there's no other option. Gabby, I think you had something to add? Um, no, I mean, I, I still think 
and, and define it as a wild animal. Oh, uh, to, to Thomas's example, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's difficult to compare this to kind of canine dogs or canine horses yeah. or um, uh, police horses because those are, fall more on the domesticated side, right? Even though, you know, when you get into the domesticated side, there there is an issue with um, whether you apply kind of, you know, just negligence or strict liability, depending if a dog is known to bite or, or what have you. Um, but this is like this, yes, they had, you know, kind of used all other options before getting to this. But at the same time, you knew the risk that you were taking, bringing this into the city. And so at the least, I think maybe not responsible for kind of the spice indicators, but definitely responsible for that, that and not just, you know, for bringing the rancor in, but uh, I was looking it up and a, and a daimyo um, is, is a, a Japanese uh, feudal Lord from the 10th century. So he has kind of a, a you know, Kind of above the mayor overseeing the town right and so he would be responsible hopefully he has good insurance but pay for all of this damage um and definitely um he's going to be getting some emotional distress lawsuits from all those very uh scared residents even if they did give him fruit i don't think it that that doesn't <laughs> <laughs> they're not even here's a melu run you're served <laughs> <laughs> maybe i'm like if they're very happy that the pikes were thrown out and the again it's like we got rid of the crack cocaine dealers and, and that beautiful crushing rancor is the one that helped save the day they'd make t-shirts they'd put them on the flag like there would be they uh, didn't get to eat him though so like that seemed to be like what kind of bummed them out so he it's like the uh, statue of IG-11 that goes up. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they think in terms of that, of uh, you know the statue of, of a uh, rancor eating a pike, that, that could look good in the town square. So that's just a set a high bar. We made it for you, Boba. <laughs> Which then brings us to the issue of having a child and a gunfight. Now, Mando did not bring Grogu to the gunfight. Pelly did. Mando then is tasked with, how'd you get here? Uh, we get the adorable hug, but now we, he's running around in a shootout with the kid. Gabby, you, you added some notes to this talking point. Can, can you enlighten us? I mean, my continual, I, I loved him and I think he is a good space dad, but he and I still have issues on his parenting style and his parenting skills because he puts that kid in danger all the time. Um, granted, like you said, he was not the one to bring Grogu into this situation that was Pelly and Pelly would be kind of responsible although you could argue they didn't know all of this was happening so i'm sure she probably heard like i would imagine she would have heard the you know turned around but um you know she would be you know the one that that would kind of be 
at fault for putting Roku at risk. Um, but, you know, he really do a good job of ensuring that, you know, he just kind of was like, okay, just, just hang out over here. And like, I'm going to go back and fight. He doesn't secure Grogu away in a secure location apart from the fighting and making sure that Grogu is okay. So he's, he's definitely on the hook for some parental negligence. Um, and just, yeah, he's, 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 hasn't got it better. I mean, he's, he gave the kid chain mail, but like, we're not a hundred percent. We're at like maybe 60 or 70. <laughs> So, Thomas, you're, Thomas, you're the JAG officer who understands law of war. You got kids. What would you do if the if you're suddenly in the shootout and you have to make snap decisions to make sure, you know, the the kids safe, and you can go, uh, you know, play soldier and stop the bad guy. Yeah, put them behind actual cover. That would be the the start of it. Not just like here, sit in this doorway. <laughs> that seems to be the the stratagem uh during this battle which is like ignore ignore basic uh cover and concealment rules but um yeah the so in on the child endangerment piece at least in pennsylvania it's not a very it's not a very complex crime it's not rico uh, in terms of uh, what it takes to prove it but it's it, it's just uh somebody who's in a position uh, parent guardian, somebody that's supposed to be supervising a child, and then you knowingly endanger the welfare of the child uh, by by violating you know duty of care, protection, support, that sort of thing. Um, here, I, I think it's so for for Din at least, you would have to to uh, you would have to zero in on where he puts what he does with Grogu when he gets a moment during the battle, because he, by the time they link up, the battle is raging. There's no, he didn't bring Grogu, as you said, into the battle. And so he didn't introduce him to that danger. Um, did he do enough to, does his action and sort of like half-hearted is the wrong word. Cause he really does try to get him out of the line of fire. But did that uh, like put him in the, in, in, in any danger, continuous danger, I, I don't I don't know that you make a case against Din. Um, you know, he's trying to do the exact opposite. He's trying to protect Grogu, uh, you know, shielding him from from gunfire with the Beskar on uh, combined with the suit that he gave him, I think shows that that uh, he, he's trying to protect him. Child endangerment isn't necessarily like, you know, did you do the best job possible? Um, it, it's, you know, it, it's a different standard than that. So you're not. You're not going to prosecute Din over not doing the best job possible to protect Grogu. Uh, and I, I don't think you meet the bar for a criminal offense on this one. Yeah, and I think also, you know, Din is aware that not only he has the best car armor, but he's got some force training, right? He, yeah, he knows how to <laughs> This is not the Grogu that we he had in... Uh, especially first season Mandalorian, right? So, and even then, he could protect himself, right? He he yeah. fought a uh, he fought, you know, tried to choke. Um, do the magic hand thing. Do the magic hand thing exactly. So, like, he knows that he has um, some. This is not, you know, kind of a helpless 
infant, right? This is a child that can somewhat protect itself. And and you even see that, right? He force jumps into Mando's arms, which is just the most adorable thing. And I can watch that on loop. I mean, just absolutely yes. all the feels. And just like, I just want to see Grogu getting hugged more. That's all. That, that's all yeah. I want. You know, it's been a rough week or two. So yeah, I, I absolutely understand. Now let's let's pivot to the final shootout with Cad Bane that raises both issues of self-defense and when does it turn into a summary execution? Tom, do you want to start with this from the shootout being uh, self-defense for what's what's going on? Yeah, so the point at which the killing happens is is tough. So the the general rule, and we've we've touched on it a number of times in in various capacities, uh, but when you talk self defense, you're talking about the need to protect to use force to protect yourself because you're in danger of some harm yourself. When we talk about the use of deadly force, so the the highest degree of force that you can use, you're killing another person or in this case, a Duros, um, you're, you're talking about a heightened bar to clear, to be able to use that kind of force. We don't want, we don't want the, the, the streets of like, in my case, Allentown, Pennsylvania to look like the streets of Moss Espa, right? Just people gunning each other down with blasters and stuff. Side note, I, I might want to see that. Like if it, if it, if like blasters in the dark saber involved, I, I might sign on to that. But the general rule is you, you got to have more to be able to use deadly force because that's, uh, you know, that's the fullest escalation of things. So when the shootout starts and Cad Bane fires on him, uh, you know, he's got a, a serious, a, a, a serious threat to his, his own safety, uh, the threat of death that allows him to use deadly force uh, in response. So he, he's facing that heightened danger that allows him to, to use the heightened uh, degree of force. The issue with Cad Bane is when Boba runs him through with the gaffy stick, he's on his ground or he's on his back. He's got, uh, I think he's disarmed. I don't think he has his blaster in hand at that point. The threat's over. And the core of self-defense is that your ability to use that force is good for so long as you're under threat. Think of it like a coupon, right? The like your your coupon expires the moment that the threat to you expires, and we see this from time to time play out uh, in 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 cases where you see like a home invasion, and it's the difference between a homeowner shooting somebody that's threatening them inside the home versus uh, the the burglar that's running away and is out in the street and and the homeowner fires on them. Uh, as they're getting away and, and have already left the house. Um, here, Cad Bane's completely incapacitated uh, in, in terms of he does, he's out of the fight. He, uh, I think he can probably still harm Boba, um, but he's down. And Boba's coupon, his self-defense coupon, if you will, has expired. He can't, at least legally, uh, he can't shoot him. I think you could make the argument that Cad Bane's dangerous no matter what position he's in. But I, I think in a strict reading of it, his 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 self-defense ability has run out at this point. I think the 
only argument would be Bane still has his gauntlets on that have a flamethrower, mm -hmm. and I don't know what other armament. I think that's the, the yeah. only straw that that doesn't make this look like a revenge killing. It would have been much cleaner if Boba had, you know, like knocked the, one of the weapons out, spun around, and run him through while standing. Right. Like that would have it would have been a cleaner. Yeah, that was self-defense as opposed to he's been disarmed he's on the ground you arrest him now uh, so it, it's it's highly problematic because it looks like a summary execution uh gabby your thoughts i mean it's hard because you know you have the kind of quick draw moment so clearly you know, self-defense, he could still perceive Cad Bane as the threat, right? He doesn't know what weapons Cad has on his person. And, you know, he is obviously quick to the draw, quicker to the draw than, than Boba. So he could, even though he's in a prone position, he could still easily, you know, he has his gauntlet, he may have other weapons on him that he could use to, so in, in, in Boba's mind, the threat is not completely neutralized until he's taken out completely. Uh, so yeah, it's interesting. I tend to agree that, you know, especially if he is in a body, then, you know, the time to kind of arrest them, you don't, you know, execute them. But at the same time, you know, we don't know um, what other weapons, what other threat was there. Um, so, and it was cool. Like, wish, you know, like Gaffy Six stuff is just, to me, that was a highlight of, of the first episode. Um, we saw Boba back. Um, and I just, I find it fascinating um, how much uh, Tamir Morrison has incorporated his own Maori, um, you know, kind of heritage and culture into the Gaffy Six stuff. Um, and the fighting, and it's just, I, I love it. I love seeing, you know, that kind of representation in Star Wars, and to see him, you know, obviously with his his helmet off when he's using the gaffy stick is just is is super cool. Yeah, I thought it was very fitting the the business of um, Cad's been poking at him the the entire time he's been on screen about. Boba being a killer and like you've gone straight, you've gone soft, that sort of thing. A very fitting way for for Cad to go out uh, with Boba sort of revisiting those roots and, and kind of proving him wrong once uh, once and for all. Yeah, and it's and again he does it without his helmet on. So the yeah. uh, again the the fight is fantastic. I was left going, ooh, I wish he hadn't been on his back because that's. Mm. Uh, but again, it was brutal and uh, exceptionally well done. Now, let's talk about, there's the liability or potential liability for all the townsfolk who started shooting at the scared ranker. And we're, we're backtracking a little bit here, but... Poor little guy. Oh, God. I mean, he just saved all their tails. And what's his reward? Yeah, getting shot at. This is this is like true kaiju love, and it's like Kong with a happy ending, where where he just the monkey takes a nap, and <laughs> it's okay, big guy. And 
And uh, Gabby, you did some. getting real low. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So You're crossing the streams. Yeah. Just, <laughs> again, it's just, it was nap time. It's, um, it's 11 o'clock at night here on, on the East Coast. <laughs> like, it's just. So, Gabby, walk us through your analysis on can, can anyone <laughs> shot at, you know, Harry Housen? you know, get, is there liability issues? I'm sorry. I just, especially with baby Yoda and the hand thing, I can't get over the comparison. Anyway, um, in real serious lawyer stuff. There is, um, so apparently in, in Utah, in, in the, wild animal when person loves another person or of the action um, courts can look at the nature of the danger the immediacy of the danger, the probability that the threatening wild animal will that the attack will result in death or serious bodily injury, the ability to safely avoid the danger, the fault of the person cre creating the account, and any previous pattern of aggressive or threatening behavior by the individual. Um, so what they have already kind of, and they even say they had backed up as far as they could back up, right? So they really have nowhere else to safely avoid the danger. The probability that it will result in death or he's already killed several people. So they pretty <laughs> much are justified in defending themselves and others in the town um, against the regular attack and, and shooting the attack, even though he did help them with the defense, at least in the state of Utah, if we are applying the, the laws of the state of Utah, um, they would have kind of a self-defense case. Yeah, to, to quote K2SO, would you like to know the probability that that Rancor will kill you if you don't shoot it? High. It's, it's very high. <laughs> now, Boba introduces Fennec Shan multiple times as master assassin Fennec Shan. And then we got to see it. Let's talk about was, was Fennec justified in uh, butchering all the pikes, the mayor and the other mob leaders? I'm just good. Uh, legally, no. No. <laughs> Real law of war, maybe. <laughs> I mean, no. I, I'll throw that one to Thomas, but quote one of my favorite episodes, which is quoting another, um, I believe, Gandhi quote uh, from, from Law and Order, um, is, you know, an eye for the nine makes the whole world blind. Um, and, you know, it's just, you're supposed to kind of take the higher, and she is kind of in this kind of martial capacity as kind of a law enforcement a uh, special agent type thing. Um, yeah, she's, she's, they should have faced prosecution 
not executed, um, even though they were really bad and evil and all of that kind of stuff. That's why there are justice systems in place. Um, yeah, I, I think under under a normal legal framework, no, she's she's operating as she's comfortable, well outside the bounds of the the traditional law. Um, what these would probably be would be like if you're talking international law framework like a targeted killing so think like a u.s drone strike against a uh you know a target in pakistan right yeah we're you know um yeah yeah yamamoto yamamoto is a good one um the mixed bag here the, the presence of the mayor is the one that's that's questionable because that that strays almost into assassination territory, given his status as as a government official. Um, whereas the I, I think you can argue that the Pike command and control, like the Pike leader and and sort of his his cadre there out in Moss Eisley, are sort of extensions of the the same fighters that you were fighting. You know, it's it's like, um, you know, we we delivered countless drone strikes against Taliban leadership in Pakistan. Uh, the operation against Osama bin Laden was executed in Pakistan and, uh, you know, all well outside the borders of where the actual um, conflict was happening in Afghanistan. So um, that, I, and those fall within this sort of legally questionable area, right? The difference is that, um, you know, as in, in our case, like who, you know, I think there have been outcries to some degree to, to how some of these um, operations have happened, particularly when when it involves U.S. citizens. Um, but generally speaking, you don't see a big groundswell of of international anger or outrage when uh, somebody like a bin Laden is killed. Right. There are questions about the operation and whatnot and, and uh, sort of particularities. But. I don't think anybody's going to be missing the pikes and, and, you know, demand justice that Boba Fett uh, be, be made, made to answer for their deaths. And I seriously doubt that anybody's going to miss Mark Shayes, the, the mayor as well, um, given his dealings and whatnot. So uh, Boba Fett's sort of in a power position and I think will benefit from, from being the daimyo here because as daimyo, he can do this sort of thing. He can make these targeted targeted killings. And that's, uh, I think going forward, going to be one of the ways that he enforces his power up to this point. He's really held Fennec Shand in check. He hasn't, she hasn't been, um, let off on her own to, to go do these sort of things. I think this is the moment where he said, you know, off screen, of course, go forth, go forth and do what you do best. Master assassin. I, I have mixed feelings on this. Because uh, this is this is like the end of Godfather Two, where I'll be at the baptism, and all these people are going to die horribly, <laughs> and that's how I'm going to solidify I'm the guy in charge. So it is a very Godfather power play. It'd be one thing if this had been, you know, the drone strike on that office, the Desert right. Survey office, and everyone in it had been killed with a mass explosive from from a missile. Fennec kills them one by one. 
and <laughs> personal ways. And that you do that to send a message. Like, and again, around the corners where stormtrooper helmets, maybe heads are on pikes, that sends a message of we don't tolerate this here anymore. So if we're doing, if this is like the true Western story where you hang the body out front to say, we don't like this, this is what we do to drug dealers, that sends a message. It is in no way legal. It's nothing that a just society would in any way tolerate or entertain. But it's the story here. And it's it's hard to, to round the circle to say that this is in some way legally permissible. Because I, I do agree with Gabby, it'd be one, or, and, and you, that'd be one thing if they took out all the mob leaders and arrested the mayor. Hanging the mayor uh, sends a message. <laughs> that, Open that, up your schedule. Don't I don't wait two weeks to see anybody. <laughs> yeah, that's again the politician that literally talked out of both sides of his mouth. Yeah, I just I, I just gotta say though, like I don't know if we're getting a second season if it was confirmed yet or not of a book of Boba Fett. Um, but I just I love Mina. I think you know the fact that she has crossed over you know, Disney, Marvel, and now into Star Wars is just incredible. And like, you know, it's just kind of phenomenal. I hope even if we don't get Book of Boba Fett, we get to see Finnish Anna's character. uh, Well, this also pure Migna Wen, because watching her on Instagram, she seems fun. And there, there are moments throughout the series where it's, she's clearly having fun. And Fennec has kind of a sassy sense of humor and it's fun to see that. And I hope to see more of, of that. Uh, my, again, the, the two Mandalorian episodes kind of threw this for a loop, but I really do want to see more of Boba in charge and just like the cultural background that's going on. You know, the, the second episode with you know, becoming part of the tribe was amazing. It's like more of that. And what we're seeing in most ESPA, like there's a functional society there that we haven't seen all the elements of. So seeing them actually become a city that functions without like uh, the drug trade as its main export that it's without scumming villainy. <laughs> yeah, that like it actually has like a functional economy. I, I don't know what that would look like because it, it's a it, it's a giant desert planet. Uh, but like if they bring water back somehow, how would that change it? Uh, so I, I do want to see more of Boba Fett being in charge and them exploring that because we start with a really good character study and then we do a hard turn to Mando and Luke, which ironically is some of the best Star Wars I've ever seen, but it just like came out of nowhere (laughs) in a Boba Fett story. (laughs) So I still have whiplash, but I still love it dearly. Which, I mean, since Mando season two ended with the teaser for Book of Boba Fett, 
it's only fair that we see a joyriding Mando and, and Grogu <laughs> at the end of Book of Boba Fett as they basically fly off into the sunset. And it does show exhibition of speed. So the kid saying, go fast, and dad eventually <laughs> saying, okay, I'll gun it. There are speed limits. He's not buzzing a Star Cruiser, so I don't think any X-Wings are going to pay a visit to him. You know what? It should be a lawful defense that my cute alien toddler was tapping on the glass insistently. <laughs> <laughs> I've given in to, I, I won't say like incredibly dangerous things, but uh, yeah, th they can be very persuasive with their never uh, relenting or unrelenting persistence on things. Yeah, it, it violates the Geneva Convention, but, you know, that's a <laughs> risk of being a parent. Uh, we then get Cobb Banth in the back to tank, which means he should be healing. But then we see the mod doctor there as well, which might hint that he needs, uh, he, he got hit on the right side? So a long... I he got hit on the shoulder. Okay, so... He, chest shoulder maybe we can do a freeze frame to figure out where but somewhere in the core you know whether it was lower okay, or shoulder. like he's gonna be fine because like he he shoots the other the deputy like <laughs> it's long as long as his face and his hair didn't get damaged then we're okay other parts can be robot on him leave the head alone i mean if he needs a lung that makes sense but yeah leave the you hair know, I was I was going to make a Bob Marley shot the deputy, but he didn't shoot the sheriff. <laughs> he didn't kill and shoot the sheriff. I, sh I shot the deputy <laughs> and then I kidding. shot him again and again and again and again. Like, <laughs> well, apparently. But <laughs> what I was going to say was he, he gets hit in the shoulder. And so I thought, like, the deputy's out for the count because he killed him, like, you know, flat out because he was. He was annoying anyway, but, but he hits him in the shoulder. So I thought, oh, like he'll rally the troops and get there and be like, oh man, you know, nope. Bane couldn't <laughs> take me out kind of thing. So it was weird that they were like, oh no, he, he, he's down. And that, that was weird. And raises the issue. It's just mostly like put him in the Like what do you do? Uh, you know, did Boba send for the body? Because at some point, this highlights the need to have an advanced health directive that says, if I get shot and I'm dead, don't wait a couple days to try to bring me back because that might be really uncomfortable for all involved. So, yeah, was he mostly dead or, or, or all the way dead? And I don't know, but... He's a good character. I'm glad I, I want to see more of him in action uh, because it's again pure Western feeling. And yeah. Star Wars being a great representative of the Western genre is just hysterical. I tried to pitch so Marissa, my wife, does uh, a state law practice, and I tried to picture this genius idea that, like, what better way? To, to convince people that they need to do estate planning to include an advanced medical directive, then tell them the cautionary tale of Cobb Vanth. You never know. <laughs> Cobb isn't dead, but 
you know, he's doing, he's going about his business. He's got a, a steady job. He's, uh, an, you know, an elected official there uh, doing good things in Freetown. And then the next thing you know, he's gunned down in the street. And uh, what are we going to do? What what are his wishes? And, and now he's facing serious surgery and, and uh, all sorts of stuff. And it doesn't look like he has any sort of directive and plan. And she disagreed. She didn't think that that any of her potential clients would would find this moving. And I just I'm having I'm having a lot of trouble squaring this now. Like who who wouldn't be moved by Cobb Van? Well, you could They'd immediately pivot. sign up and and agree to pay whatever to get their planning done. You, you could pivot <laughs> to Agents of Shield, where you know Phil Coulson's resurrected with advanced black science, and that yeah. shows the need to have an advanced health directive. So, no, they, they, it's twenty twenty two. We don't know who can be resurrected and who can't. Do you this want to be true. resurrected or do you not? Yeah, it's very important. Very, very important. Yeah. So with that, uh, I really enjoyed the series, and I didn't think I would. I, and I thought it was some of the best Star Wars that they've done from a creative uh, perspective, uh, cohesive storytelling, understanding fan service understanding love of literally everything from animated to live action. I thought it was really good. I, I still don't know how to deal with the Mandalorian episodes that kind of eclipse the Boba Fett episodes, which to me is, again, that's the weird feeling I have. Mm. Uh, because we had a great character study going and then we switch horses. I get one episode, but two kind of push the limit. Uh, Tom, your feeling, and we'll let Gabby have the last word. I struggle a little bit with this show. I really enjoyed it. I had a fun time. I've I like Robert Rodriguez's work. I've never been a huge fan of of like his filmmaking style. Um, I was a big big fan of Desperado, and Once Upon a Time in Mexico was phenomenal. Um, but overall, I. I don't know. I don't know what it, it's one that's really hard to put my finger on. Um, there were moments in this, in this finale that were great. I think I, I struggle as did the creators to figure out what's, what's Boba's motivation for staying there. Why, like, why is he a daimyo? Um, what's the beef with uh, what's the betrayal uh, that, that, that Bib Fortuna wrought upon him that, that led him to storm right back in and, and shoot him and and beyond just the desire to have like a little fiefdom what's motivating boba they never really nailed that down and I, I felt like that was that was something elusive i do hope that that you know they, they they've positioned mando now uh you know those episodes served a purpose and when we get season two of book of boba fett i don't know like you gabby i don't know if they've confirmed it but when and if we do get that I really hope sort of the, the shackles are off and, and sort of like Mando season two really found its footing, I feel like, and, and found uh, sort of that relationship and, and sort of defined uh, Mando and Grogu and their relationship uh, to the degree that we know it now. That's how I hope Boba Fett and, and in particular Fennec 
are are defined there. Uh, I, I want to see him kind of get off Tatooine a little bit and have some interactions off world pertinent to to his little fiefdom. But dig into this purpose, like give give me a reason to to root for him other than just he's a cool character and he's a good, I guess, a good guy now. Gabby. So, like I said at the beginning, I did not watch the the was drawn in to watch the Mandalorian episodes. Um, and to me, like I think the whole premise of giving uh, Boba Fett his own show never really that well with me in the first place. I think he was always really supposed to be this character of mystery. I grew up with Robert Rodriguez films. Uh, a lot of people forget that he directed the Spy Kids series. So like that was a huge, like that, you know, the the influence that had on me as best my childhood growing up. Um, you know, I think he, he, Boba Fett kind of got this redemption in um, the Mandalorian episode um, that he first comes back in. And to me, that's perfect, right? That, that to me, like that, because clearly he survived right you know so it's not a huge leap to be like oh why is he fighting this instead of like his you know, normal kind of um guns and and what have you uh but to me that that was equivalent for him of the uh hallway fight scene in in row one with darth vader where you get to see him kind of at his peak and like oh my god this is why this guy is so terrifying um and i really think they should have ended there like i would have been happy to see uh you know bobette kind of pop up here you know fine if they wanted to close kind of mando season two with him kind of shooting Fortuna and like taking over and it kind of works like that he didn't need that you didn't need this kind of expanded motivation because you're like oh well like he survived he's gonna go take over the place that kind of wrought his destruction right like that to me was all you needed and like he's gonna be a gangster right like it, it wasn't this huge leap and he's gonna live out his days you know in, in Jabba the Hutt's palace uh, so that's why I was never really on, I mean, no disrespect to Mayor Morrison. I think he does an incredible job. I just don't think the story was there for this character. Like he is not a character that has the depth and the depth that he's getting kind of almost takes away from the mystery, which gave him this kind of interesting aspect. Um, I think it made sense that they had the Mandalorian episodes. I think I agree with you, Josh. I think that was some of the greatest um, kind of Star Wars film. I mean, the the episode, the first episode with the um, where he comes back um, and he's telling see all the kind of prequel callbacks. I am a huge prequel fan, and to see all of that made my heart so happy. I like I was so happy with that. I don't know how I was able to emotionally handle Kenobi because like I just, strap um, in. But 
that we need a story from. Like Andor, I think there's a lot of like I could watch you and Gregor wander around the desert, right? <laughs> but I think that this is just kind of a misstep um, of you know, giving a character maybe didn't need the backstory, backstory. So hopefully, um, you know, he just kind of pops in and out of, um, you know, Mando going forward. I don't, I can't see them giving him a second season. Now, say this, I would hope to see him as a live action Captain Rex in the Ahsoka series. And because I, I, I love Morrison, I really, found him dynamic and engaging. So I, I do want to see more of the character. And I was like, I was like, you know, I sighed and kind of shook my head with the announcement of Book of Boba Fett. So, uh, you know, I became a convert with, okay, like this works for me. And I didn't think it would. But I am super excited for Kenobi. So there's a... I didn't even uh, think about the possibility that we could get a trailer tomorrow. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah. I, they dropped the poster. They're dropping a trailer. Like, yeah. that, that to me. We're three it's, months it's, out. It's, They've got to. And remember, it's the like, behind-the-scenes yeah. footage that they get just our and, and behind-the-scenes footage um, for B23. So uh, they, I'm sure they have a trailer. I can't imagine they have a trailer for Andor yet. I, I don't believe that it maybe just... I believe it has started shooting, but I can't imagine solid. And I can't imagine that they would want to preempt Kenobi. Yeah. I think we'll um, see Andor. I think we'll see Andor at celebration. That's my yeah. guess. Yeah. And, and I so, think... so this is gonna be Kenobi. I think we're gonna get from from the it's gonna be Marvel soft and it's going to be um gonna be Kenobi. Um and uh, high likelihood, Andor would come out August, September, and then Mando in December, because mm -hmm. they can they can literally do one a quarter. Buckle and, up. Uh, <laughs> and, and the other thing, you know, this this series showed that you can have a connected universe in Star Wars. So Mando and Boba yeah. popping up, they can do the same with Andor and Kenobi. So because mm -hmm. uh, Kenobi's what nine or ten years before uh rogue one so you could it'd be a younger andor or if you had uh kenobi pop up in andor it's five years before rogue one so you give mm -hmm. mcgregor some more gray hair and uh, but you, you could do that so um but i'm hoping andor they don't go to tatooine that they there are other planets they can go play on and tell James Bond type spy stories. Uh, I would like them to not. It's you know, it's okay for for the actor to shave. You know he you know, Andor shouldn't have a five o'clock shadow continuously as a spy. So that, uh, <laughs> you know what, Diego Luna can wear his facial hair however he wants to wear it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Although I really I, I disagree, Josh. I want I want Cassian to make a hot quick stop on Tatooine just to see Jabba, just to fulfill Diego's dreams. And you know, by fulfilling his dreams, it means 
<laughs> I've been a huge Diego Luna fan since um, Dirty Dancing Havana Nights. So, like, just just to see that, you know, it, it's, it'll be <laughs> just like quick in and out. And then, like, you know, Agreed, because Kenobi is going to be like Tatooine Bay's. It's going to be so much desert. <laughs> there's a lot of desert time that we have coming up, so it's okay to have one of the series not go there. So, um, is it, if all four do, then it looks like are we just dialing it in here? Like, what's what's going on? So, just saving out? money on sets. That's yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I'd prefer them just do something different, but I, yeah, cautiously optimistic, because the Kenobi's interesting because he's the character that loses everything but doesn't lose faith, and I I like that a lot, and that that's a, I think a good story to tell as he's in these middle years, you know, just standing guard, and. Uh, apparently it won't be as boring as we thought it was. So <laughs> there's, yeah. there's a, I think, I think we're going to see him need, doing a little more than counting sand. That's for sure. Yeah. I just need to get, cause I know we were supposed to, but they did casting calls initially for a young Luke and a young Leia. I want Jimmy Smith's back. I just yes. need, you know, bail, see bail in action um, with little, um, that's what I want. I, so, and all that but like the icing on the cake would be getting jimmy smith back as as bill organa even if it's just an episode even if it's just kind of a short scene that would just just make me over the moon happy please listen to gabby if you're out i thought there. they i thought they announced he was i don't they know they might I, have did see the casting for for young well i don't know if they announced they specific casting but i know they were So the what they could do with Andor that would be interesting is Millie Bobby Brown really wants to play Leia. And she would be about the right age for the Andor series around 15. So uh, that could be if, if they pull that off, that would be that would be fun just because she's like done the costume and it's like, okay, you're campaigning for the role. I appreciate that kind of <laughs> determination. Like, look. Okay. But I would, go on. Yeah. No, I was gonna say I would the one thing I would like to see too is Jimmy Smith's and Andor. Just I, I want my yeah. It's not possible to get Oscar Isaac, you know, into, you know, kind of the older kind of stuff, but you know, just just two of them together. That's all I want. That's, it's not a lot to ask. It's just you know, crossing paths, and you know, it makes it makes our our our, our group happy. Understood. So yeah, we are blessed with twenty two being one of the biggest years in Star Wars history without a movie, and yet getting the most content for Star Wars. So that's because there's Bad Batch season two in here as well. So that's just phenomenal. So with that, everyone, thanks for tuning in for this adventure. We'll be back with more podcasts. I'm not sure what the next live set will be for responding, but 
there's a lot of good issues in Peacemaker, so buckle up for that. And uh, everyone stay safe, stay healthy, and above all else, stay geeky.